There are some things, I'm sure, that I don't need to tell you. I mean, I felt like I got up this morning and I thought, I need to remind these people the sky is blue. You don't get that all the time around here, right? But there are things that are much less common than a blue sky in Oregon. And there are things that are more certain than the blue sky in Oregon. Namely, that we live in a world where people have a hard time getting along with those who are not like them. People shout at one another when they have differences of opinions. They rarely listen. On social media, you have it all the time. Somebody chipping, chipping, chipping and angry and it's just almost unbearable. I can't even turn on the news because the volume is so loud of people who despise one another. And that's the kind of world we live in. And that's more common certainly than the blue sky in Oregon. Because you can't go anywhere where that isn't an issue. I don't think God wants that to be an issue in His church. I think it is His will that the church is the one place that you can go where that isn't the case. And the thing is, it's not naturally that way. All of us want to be confirmed in what we think and what we believe and what our ideas are. And the only way we feel like we can do that is if the people who believe differently or think differently or look differently or act differently than us are off to the side and they're silenced. Then I feel better about the way that I think. But you see, that's not the way that Jesus wants His church to go about it. He wants His church to be on earth this small outpost of a foreign kingdom where one day there will be people gathered around the throne of the Lamb from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. And so there is this ethnic diversity. There is this economic diversity. There is this racial and um, language diversity. And that is what I think Jesus wants His church to be in this world now. And it's not easy. And it's probably not even fun. And it's probably much, much harder than it is to get along with everyone who's exactly like you. I began my ministry a long time ago. And the, the way that people talked about church back then, it was a church, the height of the church growth movement. And the church growth movement maintained that if you could create homogeneous groups, namely groups where everyone is the same, whether they're all uh, you know, young marrieds or whether they're all medical professionals or whether however narrow the narrower the group the better as far as growing the group because everyone likes people like themselves 
But I think, and the idea of the church growth movement was if you could do that, your church would grow faster and grow better. And I think that that idea is contrary to what God wants for His church. Because I think the vision that that God gives us in the New Testament is one that is um, diverse, where we are welcoming to people who are not like us. And so that's the message, actually, from Romans chapter 14. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn there. And we'll read the first 12 verses in Romans 14. And, you know, it's one thing to say, let's all welcome people who are not like us. It's another thing to actually do it, and another thing to actually have motivation underneath why we might do it. And that, I think, is what we're offered in Romans 14. So, Romans chapter 14... Beginning of verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he, might, he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who despises, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another. While another esteems every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give account of himself to God. And so we have there the problem as well as the solution. The problem that there are at least two factions in the church who don't see eye to eye on matters of conscience or opinion. And so how are they to treat one another? Well, let's take a look at what the issues are and then we'll see how he goes about reconciling the differences. He says, as for the one weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. The person who believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. So, this is the only time I'm going to use these terms because this is the only time he uses them. But he considers there to be two groups 
One weak and one strong. One who, and, and notice these are opinions. There is the person who is strong has an opinion. The person who is weak has an opinion. And we're not going to quarrel about those opinions. In particular here, the opinions are about what you can eat. Okay, One person, presumably the stronger, believes you can eat anything. The other person, the weak person, eats only vegetables. Okay. So how did we get to this problem? Uh, apparently, church in Rome had two groups as part of it, Jews and Gentiles. In fact, the, the theological differences between those two groups were dealt with at length in Romans chapter 9 through 11. But the reality is, because they have theological differences, they also have personal and practical differences. So these two groups are at odds with one another. There is a group probably uh, made up of Gentiles who sits on this side of the table. And they've never had any concern about Jewish dietary laws. So they feel they can eat anything. And they're happy to eat anything. And so uh, when it comes time for a meal shared as a church, they're on this side of the table. And their consciences are free to do whatever pleases them. Then on the other hand, there are uh, the Jewish Christians that that are part of this church. They likely grew up with certain restrictions in the uh, Jewish dietary laws. And the the dietary laws didn't say eat only vegetables. They did put prescriptions on what they could and couldn't eat, though. And the the history of this church is probably that in Rome, in the church, or in Rome, there were there was Jews and Jewish synagogue, and they got kicked out in the in the 40s. Uh, of they got kicked out of Rome, but later in the early 50s they were allowed to come back. And in that time, the the butchers who would prepare kosher meats didn't have anyone to prepare them for, and so they probably changed their you know business plan to not do kosher meats anymore. And so the Jews come back in and they're unable to find what they need to eat in order to meet their Jewish dietary restrictions. And so they just settle for only vegetables. And so you've got on this side of the table those who eat only vegetables and you've got people on this side of the table who eat anything. And that's where they are when their church has a shared meal. The problem with that is that you find that the one who eats feels complete freedom. Like God is not requiring anything of them other than to enjoy the meal. But the person on the other side of the table is only eating vegetables and they're looking askance at the person on this side of the table. And the person on this side of the table says, what's wrong with you? Why? Look at this steak! Why aren't you eating this? And they despise the person over here. You see, I've been on both sides of the table. And these, these feelings are awful. They're, they're corrosive and you feel like your soul is just melting. It's awful. 
to be the one who feels free and to look down on one who isn't free. And I've been on this side of the table too. And here's the one who abstains. And they're looking across the table at the person who's eating anything thinking, how can you eat just anything? Haven't you thought about what God wants? Haven't you given consideration to what God said in the Old Testament? And so they're constrained and it appears that that as his categories go, the stronger one has the, the freedom of conscience and the weaker one has a more constrained conscience. And each of them have a problem. The weak pass judgment on the strong and the strong despise the weak. Both of them think that something's wrong with the person on the other side of the table. Both think that the other person is defective in the way they are relating to God. This happens all the time. And it's ugly when it happens. And what we have here is God establishing a different way of operating inside His church than the world operates outside the church. And so He says, as for the one weak in the faith, welcome Him. Don't pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed Him. Both sides of the table are welcome in God's family. This is really interesting. Because God is not saying to this side of the table, well, you guys tone it down. You can't... I mean, why don't you change and not eat so much? And He's not saying to this side of the table, lighten up! You can eat a little more! It appears that both sides of the table can remain as they are. In other words, unity in God's church does not require uniformity. Getting along with people who are different from you does not require that they change to become like you. And that is really profound. Because that's not the way the rest of the world operates. And that's not our default mechanism. Most of us think, if we're on this side of the table, that those people are uptight and they should stop judging me. And most of us on this side of the table think, these guys don't even care and they should really be thinking about what God wants. And what God is saying is if you're on this side of the table or on this side of the table, you are welcome in God's family. And so, our obligation to one another is to welcome one another, to accept one another even when we're different. And welcoming each other though we're different is the distinguishing mark of a church in a world where we can't tolerate differences, you see. And he gives us some reasons now, some motivation, some underpinnings. That's one thing for us to say. You just need to welcome one another. 
But it's, a, it's another altogether to say there are substantial gospel-centered reasons for us to embrace people who are different from us. And so here is the first one. He says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. So the first reason is that both sides of the table are serving the same Lord or the same master. That's what, that's what Lord means, by the way, is master. So who are you to be over on the, this side of the table just shoveling it in? despising the person over there because the person over there answers to God. The person over there is doing what they're doing to serve their Master. And they're not your servant. They're not serving you. They're serving Him. And He's going to be the one that says it's okay, not you. And the same thing over here. You're over here and you're looking over there saying those guys are just shoveling in and here I'm just uh, taking my time because all I have are vegetables. And why don't they, why aren't they more considerate? Why aren't they looking out after me? And you know what? They're not your servant. They serve the master. And the principle is then that both will answer to God and God has welcomed both sides of the table to His meal. The Lord is able to make each one stand. And so, what kinds of things are we talking about here? He says, he picks a different topic. The first was was food. Now he picks the topic of days. One person esteems one day better than another. In other words, their conscience is constrained about certain days, about festivals, about um, the Sabbath. While another esteems every day alike. Their conscience is not constrained. They haven't given much thought to the Sabbath, or if they have, they feel free to do whatever they want on the Sabbath. And so, there's another issue. So, there, there must be more than one issue here, right? Where we could have this opinion or conscience difference and yet all be welcome in the family of God. Now, this is, uh, this is a beautiful thing because what he's telling us here is that if you have differences of days or differences on food or differences on whatever else you might have opinions about. You know, I was trying to think about what other kinds of things you might have differences about that would fit in these same kind of categories of conscience or opinion. And there are, uh, one of the first ones that came to mind was the way that people sing in church. Right? Some people think uh, they're, they're probably more constrained and they think you ought to sing, you know, only hymns. And there are some that feel free to sing with any other instrument or any other way or, you know, have differences of opinion about that. There are differences of opinion or of conscience in the way that parents educate their children. 
Some are more constrained. Some are more free. And yet there's all kinds of conflict about that topic. The principle is, they are matters of conscience. And each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Which means that you can't be over here on this side of the table and this person lecturing you about how you need to cut back. And then you're like, oh my, I've, I've got to think about this. I don't know what I should do. Okay, He doesn't want you in that in-between, confused, conflicted place. Or he doesn't want you on this side of the table when somebody is lecturing you about lightening up. And you say, oh, really? I, I feel really weird about eating that or about doing that on the Sabbath or whatever else. He says, no, where, where you belong is fully convinced in your own mind. So don't try and convince the person on the other side of the table of your position. Don't pick the fight. And then here is the key. I think the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. Or you could go back to the first issue, right? Whoever eats, eats in honor of the Lord. The whole idea then about these matters of opinion or conscience, they are things that we have to decide how we're going to navigate the world, that we, we have to decide those things in the best way for us to honor the Lord. Now, we have the whole day issue, the whole Sabbath thing is really, uh, I think it's a beautiful illustration, even in our own church. Even in our own church, we have people who do not go out to dinner on Sunday afternoon because they don't want to make the server work on the Sabbath. But that but there are other people who are like that who will who view the Sabbath as Sunday also and they will always go out to lunch on Sunday because they don't want to work. Okay? Now, there are, they're both applying the Sabbath to Sunday instead of to Saturday. But they've come to two separate conclusions about how they're going to work that out in their own life. And so, I think that's, I think that's a beautiful difference. As long as they can maintain the difference. And they do it to honor the Lord. Both, both have thought about how am I going to honor the Lord on this. All right? And there's yet another group, right? Who feels free to cook a big dinner for their family. Because that's what feeds their soul on their Sabbath. And so they have a different matter of conscience and it's all about how they're going to apply that before the Lord. And they do it to honor the Lord and that to me is a key because what happens for, for some people on the side of the table, pe- people who are on this side of the table, people who are over here and they're eating anything, sometimes they're just eating because 
that's their one opportunity to have a big meal. Sometimes they're eating because they're gluttons. Sometimes they're eating because they haven't thought anything about the food or about the Lord. They're just eating. Okay? That, that's not what we're talking about here. Okay? And they're eating, they're eating out of greed or out of pride or whatever the case. There are people over here on the other side of the table who are, they're eating only vegetables. But the thing is, they're not eating only vegetables to please the Lord. They're eating only vegetables so people will think highly of them or think that they're more righteous. And so there is, they're doing it out of self-righteousness. Not out of, uh, not out of trying to please the Lord. And what he's saying is, here we have, here we have the, the matter of conscience to please the Lord. That's the issue. And see, what, that's just a game changer for the whole church. Because that means, well, it means what Paul said in Colossians. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all as unto the Lord. So the, the matter, whether it's about how you educate or whether it's about how you, I mean, for, for some people it's the tithe, that's 10%, or some people it's Christian sacrificial giving. Okay, people have different matters of conscience on those things. But guess what? Your, your money is not your own to do with what you want, according to the Bible. You're a steward of what God's given you, whether you, whether you, Define it as 10% or whether you give it sacrificially. However you steward it, you steward it as unto the Lord. And you can have a different way of looking at it than I do. As long as you're doing it unto the Lord. And when you're doing it unto the Lord, I am going to, I am going to respect you doing it differently than me. I'm going to have to. And you're going to have to respect me doing it differently than you. And that's some of what allows us to welcome one another when we're different. We observe it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to the Lord, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So what he's saying is that the person, the group, it's a group, right? It's not just a person. On this side of the table, eating anything is, is doing it to honor the Lord. And the person on this side of the table eating only vegetables is doing it to honor the Lord. See, one of the things that, I mean, it's so important that both groups think through their lives and the various details of their lives. And this could be everything from, uh, from how, how you spend your money to, I mean, one of the things that's always talked about in this passage is alcohol. But the reality is it's possible to feel free over here without ever giving thought to the Lord. I can, I can drink whatever I want to drink. I mean, maybe you grew up all, uh, you know, in some kind of tight, you know, legalistic situation. And now you're outside of that and you're free to do that. You're not doing that necessarily because the Lord has given you freedom and you're giving thanks to Him. You're doing it out of rebellion. And you could be over here. You could be doing it self-righteously. Not... Not drinking out of fear that, oh my goodness, it's going to go terrible. If I, you know what? It's not about fear, self-righteousness or pride or rebellion or freedom. It is to honor the Lord and give thanks to Him. And so I'm challenging you not just to welcome one another, but to lay those things in your life out before the Lord and say, I'm going to hold those opinions. 
I'm going to hold those practices with open hands and submit to God in every single aspect of my life, which is a big, that's a big ask. That is a big thing to ask. But when you do that, then I'm living in a different way. That's what he says. No one lives to himself and no one dies to himself. We're living or dying to the Lord. So, whether we live, the, we live the Lord or whether we die, we die the Lord. And what we're doing is that I'm not trying to please this person over here and this person over here is not trying to please the person over there. We're both doing our very best to please the Lord in every respect. And when that happens, I need to respect that in the other person. You see? So then... Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that He might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. So, God's intent in raising Christ from the dead is that Christ would be the Master of the people on this side of the table and He would be the Master of the people on this side of the table and that He would welcome them both and that they would welcome one another. So that Christ is the Lord, both of the dead and the living. Both of the eating and the vegetable people. Both of the Sabbath keepers and the free. And so I welcome people because Jesus died that they might be welcome in His church. And then he gives us another reason why. And he asks this again. He puts it back where it started. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? So you're the weak, you're the, you're the person who's eating all the vegetables. Why are you passing judgment? You're the person over here who's eating anything. Why are you despising? For all will stand before the judgment seat of God. See, this is the final clincher here. This is the thing that, that he's already brought up with respect to your enemies. With respect to your enemies, you can trust God with your enemies because God will judge them and make it right. And you can trust God with people who are in your church who have different opinions and convictions than you do. Because God is going to judge them. And they are going to stand before His judgment seat as it is written in Isaiah 45, which we read at the beginning of the service, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to God. He is one day going to make this right. And for my freedom, I'm going to have to answer to God. And for my constraint, I'm going to have to answer to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So it isn't Merely. It's, it's, it's two things, right? It's that I'm over here and I'm going to trust that that person's going to give account of himself. But that's not really what it says. It says, I'm going to give account of myself too. Right? And I can be over here and it isn't just the people on the other side of the table who see it differently than me that are going to give account, but I'm going to give an account. And so that's why all of the matters of my life are... Um, I'm going to hold and live as though I'm living for Christ in all of those matters. Because ultimately, I'm going to give an account to God. And that just frees me. That, that frees me from having 
to insist that I'm right, to, to show everyone that I'm right, it frees me to encourage people who have different opinions than me and say, may God help you follow Him. Really? And so, we're not the first people to have to deal with this. We're not the first people to have to deal with this in a world as polarized. This has been a problem for the church since its beginning. And what we have here is just a reminder that it is still an issue for God's church. And from the beginning of the church, God wanted uh, His church to represent His kingdom in its fullness with people who are different uh, in all respects uh, so that one day we all worship before the throne of the Lamb, as it says in Revelation. Now, we're going to continue our worship here in a moment with uh, the Lord's Supper. And normally, I remind you that the Lord's Supper is our remembrance of the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is our way of remembering that He died for our sins and rose again for our justification. And it is that. But when He did that, He also did that so that we could be reconciled with one another. There is a vertical aspect to it, for sure. Our forgiveness depends on the cross. But there is a horizontal aspect as well. Our forgiveness of one another depends on the cross. And the, the text that I usually quote to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is dealing not so much with the problem vertically with God as it is dealing with problems people have with one another. In Corinth, they were having a church meal and it wasn't just the people who would eat and eat only vegetables. It was that some were coming, getting first in line and cleaning it out. And other people were going hungry. And he said, you're not, these things ought not to be. Christ died that you all might be welcome at His table. And so, even, even in the first instruction to the church about communion, it was instruction that invites us to love and accept and to welcome one another. And so, there are two uh, tables in the front and two in the back. And the way that we do it here is just during the next song, get out of your seat and come uh, forward or back or in the balcony and get the elements and return to your seat and we'll all participate uh, together. We do it together to remind us that the part of this is horizontal, that we are, are in, intended to um, be one or be united in Christ. And so, uh, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to participate with us. If you're here just exploring Christianity, we're glad you're here. And uh, you can feel free to, to, to talk to the Lord or to pray or to think about these things while we do this. But this is for those who um, can look back and say, I am a person who has trusted Jesus. And I'm going to remind myself of why. That's what we're doing at communion. And so let me pray for us. And then uh, while we sing the next song, you can... Uh, Get out of your seat and and receive or get the elements and return and we'll celebrate together in a moment. Heavenly Father, we are 
thankful for uh, Jesus. We're thankful that we are um, that we have been purchased with a price, and we are no longer our own. Would you enable us to trust you not only with our own opinions, but even with the opinions of others? Will you keep us humble and help us uh, to live by faith? So, God, would you remind us of the death and resurrection of Jesus, of its implications of the wonderful forgiveness we receive because of um, Jesus, but also would you remind us of the implications of forgiving one another uh, even as we celebrate this together. And we'll thank you for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.